Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for what you've prepared for us eternally and in the right here and now. And as, been pray, as has been prayed before, we want to lift up those who are enduring storms right now, whether they be physical storms like we've had in our own region, or whether they be political storms in lands across the sea, or whether they be spiritual storms that many of us may not know about that people are walking through right this moment. I pray that you will bring peace in the midst of the storm. And I pray, Lord, that you will help the church, the people of God, to rise up in each of these places, here in our own state of Iowa and uh, in Ukraine. I pray that the church will rise up with words of hope in the midst of war. And Lord, I pray that the people of God will bring your kingdom wherever we go as we pray together the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team, for leading us to the throne today. Over the past few years, I guess I've kind of earned the moniker of the singing preacher around here. I kind of like to tell a funny story or two to start out my messages, weave a song in here or there, and, and hopefully sneak in a challenge that maybe uh, uh, will change your life. Sadly, I think often we go home more or less the same as we came, and I hope that today is different. I don't have any funny stories, and I really don't have a song to sing today, unless it's maybe the words of the old hymn, just as I am, without one plea. See, I... I had an encounter with God this week. It was very brief, but it was very powerful. I paid a visit to the holy mountain, the holy mountain of God, and, and I came face to face for just a moment with His glory. It was awesome, and it was terrifying all at once. There were no voices from heaven, no lightning flashes, no peals of thunder, no prophetic utterances or visions or dreams. It was just me and a worn-out Bible as I tagged along with Peter, James, and John as they went up the mountain of God. For the past several weeks, we've been walking with Jesus through the book of Mark, and last week... Clayton began to lead us in a turn from the miracles and the celebration of Christ to the path to the cross of Christ. And the very first encounter that happened before they started to Jerusalem was a visit to the Mount of Transfiguration. 
So let's pick up with Peter, James, and John, if you dare. And in Mark chapter 9, we're going to begin reading with the second verse. It's page 1,000 in your pew Bible, if you need that. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And I want you to highlight that phrase right there because we're going to speculate a little bit later on what they may have been talking about. Okay. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> one one uh, gospel translation says that Peter said this because he didn't know what else to say. And we know that's kind of how Peter was. He might not have had known what to say, but he always found something to say, right? And I think it's interesting that it, it kind of gives an insight into the human nature. We always are trying to capture God's presence. When we, when we find ourselves in God's presence, we, we want to build three tabernacles. We want to build a church. We want to build a denomination. We want to build a, a doctrine so that we can say, we found it. We're here. And I think Peter fell prey to that when he said, let's build three tabernacles. Let's see if we can capture this moment. We're the big three after all. Peter, James, and John, we got a front row seat to the glory of God. Let's build tabernacles so that we can memorialize this. While below the mountain, people were suffering from demonic possession. His mind was on building a tabernacle. We'll get back to that a little bit later on. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. And then I would like to read Peter's account from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. This is the guy that just wanted to build three tabernacles, and this was his account of the transfiguration. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred holy mountain. People of God, this is the Word of God. As I traveled with James and Peter and John up to the summit of the mountain this week, I'd like to tell you just a few of the things I saw, but first I want to tell you what I didn't see. There were no shadows. There was no darkness at all. No 50 shades of gray, no ambiguity, no vague images of a warm, fuzzy God or a benevolent grandpa in the sky who was waiting to dole out uh, whimsical gifts that we could for our personal pleasure and enjoyment. All I saw was pure, dazzling, white brilliance 
that penetrated every fiber of my being. Majesty in whose presence all my blemishes and deficiencies were painfully exposed. It occurred to me that my vision had become so dimmed by the culture around me that I had come to think of this present darkness where we live as normal. But I'm here, you, here to tell you today that the mountain of God is anything but normal. It is so other <laughs> that I don't even have words to describe the majesty coming face to face with God's glory. Now, I'll tell you right up front, things may get a little uncomfortable this morning. Um, in fact, you might wish I'd gone back to singing before the day's over. It's not, my, it's not my desire to inflict pain on the children of God or the people that have gathered in this place. But I do have one hope and one desire that each and every one of us would come running, running, running to an old rugged cross. That's my hope this morning. That we'd be led, we would be led to the cross that they just sang about. Bring me to my knees. Let me see you, Lord, in the beauty of your sacrifice for me. So today, if you dare, let's catch up to Peter, James, and John, and let's talk a little bit about what happened on that holy mountain or what may have happened. I hope you understand that some of my message today involves uh, a little bit of uh, sanctified imagination, I hope. <laughs> it's, not, it's not for sure this is what happened, but this is what goes through my mind when I think of Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus on the mountain. Maybe the reason I'm thinking this way is this is how it would have gone if I had been Moses or Elijah and the conversation I would have had on the holy mountain. You see, this wasn't the first experience that they had have had on the holy mountain. Moses and Elijah, I think it's interesting, both had visited the holy mountain before. In fact, just a sidelight, we had the privilege of going to Vermeer on, what day was that, Thursday, for the uh, leadership conference with uh, Dr. Richard Blackaby. And wouldn't you know it, he started talking about Moses and Elijah and Jesus and that they had all been on the mountain of God. And I thought, Dr. Blackaby's been stealing my notes. <laughs> and then he started talking about Ecclesiastes and I thought, boy, he's been listening to Pastor Kevin too. But we had a good day, but uh, I just wanted to, to think just for a moment about these three characters and the mountaintop experiences that they had had in their lifetime. I can just hear Moses talking about the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and how God had instructed him to go down and tell the people, prepare yourselves because I'm going to speak to my people. So Moses went down and he told the people, he said, I want you to get ready on the third day, something big's going to happen. God's going to speak to us. And sure enough, on the third day in Exodus chapter 19, if you want to read the story, something big happened. It said, first of all, that uh, there was, there was uh, loud noises coming from Mount Sinai, and it says that the mountain began to shake violently and smoke billowed up from the mountain just like a volcano. And as the mountain shook violently, that could all be attributed to uh, physical, uh, an earthquake, a volcano, 
But then something else happened. A trumpet began to blow. How do you explain that? It said there was this loud trumpet blast, and it grew louder and louder and louder. Can you imagine being in the presence of that mighty earthquake volcano and loud trumpet blasts that grew louder and louder and louder? And it says the people were trembling with fear. In fact, later on in Hebrews, it says, Moses said, I myself was terrified and trembling with fear at the mountain of God. So I can just hear Moses telling his story about his mountaintop experience and how God's word spoke from the mountain and says, you will have no other gods before me. You will not make any graven images. You will remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not, uh, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's things or your neighbor's John Deere or your neighbor's car or SUV. Thou shalt not covet. And the voice of the Lord came strong and loud from Mount Sinai. And so I would say Moses had a pretty good idea of what the mountain of God was like. But then it was Elijah's turn. And if, it, if I'd been Elijah, I would have said, okay, let me tell you my mountaintop experience. Let me tell you what happened. I called down fire from heaven, and God answered. And I love the story of Elijah. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and you read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's probably one of the most comical and dramatic chapters in the entire Bible. As Moses dared the the prophets of Baal, to call down fire. And he made fun of them while they were praying and shouting and dancing and cutting themselves. He said, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Who knows what your God is up to? And he told them, pray louder, pray louder. Isn't it amazing when you have a dead God how much commotion has to go on? Moses, on the other hand, or Elijah, on the other hand, when he came to the altar, it says that he did... Two things, and these really spoke to me this week as I was studying this from 1 Kings 18. The first thing he did is it says that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in ruins. Is the altar of the Lord in ruins in our land today or in our churches today? I love good music. I love great Christian concerts. I love it all. But I have a sneaking suspicion that when our altars become stages, we lose our effectiveness on the world platform. We have devalued, instead of calling people to repentance at altars of salvation, we call people to see what we can perform or what we can do or how many people we can gather together. Elijah understood how the importance of the altar of God and the importance of calling people to repentance. And he said, how long do you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And it says, the people answered him not a word. They were so immersed in the darkness of their day that they didn't even have the energy or the motivation to make a correction. So the first thing Moses did was to repair the altar of the Lord that was in ruins. The second thing, I just saw this Friday as I was up in the lighthouse praying. It says, after the prophets of Baal had done their thing and he had repaired the altar of the Lord, it says, Moses or Elijah stepped forward. 
stepped right up to the altar. And I wonder if there are some people today that need to be stepping forward in our day to call people to repentance. Do we need to step forward in our day to call down the fire of Pentecost in our churches so that we are not just a club, but we are a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and with power? Elijah had the courage to step forward. Let me, I got news for you. The other team is stepping forward in a big way. I'll talk about that more in just a little bit. It's time for the church to step forward because we have the fire, folks. <laughs> we have the Holy Ghost and fire. And I have said over and over and over again, a church without the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a club taking your money and your time and your energy. But a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God is bringing the kingdom of God wherever they go. And I'm thankful for Third Church. We are doing our dead level best to do that. We don't always get it right, but believe me, where I'm, I'm hope, I loved one of the phrases that Steph said in, in the video earlier. Think about what might happen if. Think about what might happen if we committed ourselves to prayer again. If we committed ourselves to fasting. If we committed ourselves to the kingdom of God in a way that changes our culture. Think what might happen in Pella, Iowa, in Iowa, in the nation, and in our world. And then, after Moses and Elijah had talked about their mountaintop experience, I wonder if Jesus might have asked him a question. We all know that Jesus liked to ask questions, right? Perhaps he might have said, Moses, when you came down with the very words of God in your hand, what did you find? And Moses would have had to answer, well, <laughs> I came down to an entire nation that was dancing and Idol, uh, having an orgy around a golden calf that they'd created. The ink wasn't even dry on the Ten Commandments. And they were already inventing ways to break, it, break them. Does that sound like human nature? So you see, the law wasn't really the answer. We'll get to that later. And then Jesus might have said to Elijah, Elijah, after the fire fell from heaven at your command, what did you find at the bottom of your mountain? Elijah said, well, I, I guess I came face to face with Jezebel, did a little battle with the prophets of Baal, and then I went and hid in a cave because I wanted to die. <laughs> and then Jesus might have said something like this, Moses, Elijah, even now, while we're talking here, there's a demon-possessed boy at the foot of this mountain. His father is pleading with my followers, and they are powerless for lack of prayer. And within a few days, on top of that, within a few days, my boys will be arguing over who will be the greatest in my kingdom. At the very moment when the glory of God is covering the Mount of Transfiguration, the devil is still having a heyday and Jesus' followers are powerless to do anything about it. I'm going to make a confession this morning. Sometimes I feel like I spend a lot more time in the foothills just like the disciples that weren't able to cast out the devils than I do being empowered by the power and the glory of God. I was convicted so 
deeply this week about that. We are trying so hard to do so many things to cure the ills around us and nothing has been effective. And then Jesus speaks again. He says to Moses and Elijah, he said, let me tell you about another mountain that I'm going to climb here in a few weeks. These people are like people with, like sheep without a shepherd. I didn't come to condemn the world. The world is condemned already, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. And in just a few days, I'm going to climb a mountain and I'm going to take the sins of the whole world on my shoulders. In fact, I'm going to become sin. And I'm going to lay my life down on an old rugged cross so that these people can live. And sure enough, as they came down the mountain at the foothills of the Mount of Transfiguration there, they found the demon-possessed boy and the father pleading with Jesus to heal. And it says that Jesus spoke to the demon to come out, and it says he threw the boy violently on the ground, and so much so that they thought that he had died. And Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and presented him to his father, healed and whole. Oh, that the church could be doing those kind of things. Jesus said, the things that I do, greater things than that you will do because I go to my Father and I'm sending my Spirit upon you. But honestly, I feel more like, I come in on Monday morning and I look at the long list of things that the devil has done to our people in Pella and it ticks me off. And it wrenches my heart to see what sin has done, what the enemy is doing, what, what the curse, it seems like the curse has its way everywhere I turn my face and my eyes. And I'm saying, Lord, can we be the church again? Lord, can I be the church again that comes down from the mountain with the power of God that speaks life, that speaks health, that speaks freedom, that speaks victory into the lives that I come in contact with? What would it be like if every one of us was filled with the Spirit of God to that extent, to where when we walked out of here, the demons were shrieking with fear instead of the other way around. I believe that's God's intention for the kingdom of God. I believe it with all of my heart. But instead, we look around us. Do we see rebellion? Is there rebellion around us, like at Mount Sinai? Well, I'll take you back a few days to our, the night of the State of the Union speech. I'm not going to talk about the speech. You can make your own decisions about that, but I'm going to talk to you about what I saw afterwards. The son of one of our presidents bought some airtime on national TV, and he was raising funds for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And he closed the advertisement by saying this, I'm Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, and not afraid to burn in hell. Uh, wow. Is there rebellion? That's on a national scale. I was thinking also about the hopelessness here on a local level. 
in our own schools, in our own backyard. Students and adults are suffering from a tragic identity crisis, from disorders of every kind, and social dysfunction fueled by insidious and relentless social platforms and entertainment mediums that demean, confuse, and blatantly attack the truth of God's Word and God's design for human interaction and sexuality. And what's been the church's response, by and large? Well, the legalist says, knock it off. Don't do that stupid stuff. Mount Sinai, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. If you'll just live like me, you'd be all right. <laughs> and then I remember my moment encounter with a holy God. And I realize I'm no different than anybody else. So the legalists among us say, Stop it. Cut it out. Don't be an idiot. Just follow the law. The progressive says, oh, we just need to affirm their identity. Build their self-esteem. We're all God's children after all. Which, by the way, is the biggest lie that's ever been told. We're all created by God. We were not all God's children. Paul says it this way, you were, by, you were by nature enemies of the cross of Christ. May I remind us what God's Word says about our identity apart from Christ? We are reprobates, far from God and far from home. I don't care if you live in a bar or a monastery. If you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or straight. I don't care if you bark like a dog, meow like a cat, or sing like a bird in the church choir. I don't care if you earn your living on your back, earn your living in a pulpit. I don't care if you've gambled all your way, gambled away your last paycheck or if you dropped $100,000 in the plate this morning. I don't care if you've sold your soul to the devil or if you've sold your soul to the American dream. We are all, each one of us, reprobates in desperate need of a Savior. And that's why Jesus said on the mountain when he talked to Moses and Elijah in another text it says that he did talk about his coming death. You see, that's the most important mountain of all, Mount Calvary. I want to take, one, take time to go to Hebrews chapter 12 as we close today. There's one other mountain I want to talk to you about. You'll find it on 1193 in your pew Bible. We'll start reading with verse 18, and, and it's talking about Mount Sinai again. We're going back to Moses Mountain, all right? 
He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight of it was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And here's the good part. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Verse 22, you've not come to that mountain, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know what the blood of Abel said when God met Cain after he'd killed his brother? He said, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. I have, here's what I think it was saying. It was saying, guilty, 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 guilty. But he said, my blood speaks a better word, forgiven, righteous, righteousness of God, free, Victor, through Jesus Christ. You see, what our, here's what our problem is a lot of times in the church. We're dragging people to the wrong mountain. <laughs> We're dragging them to Mount Sinai and say, get your act together. Don't you see what the law says? Or we're dragging them to Mount Carmel and say, maybe if we can get you this spiritual experience and light you on fire, you'll be fine. Jesus is calling us to Calvary. And through Calvary, we get to march to Zion. As the praise team comes, I want to leave you with a challenge, a twofold challenge today. Pastor Kevin prays often, I, I, several times a day, he prays this prayer Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I would like for you to pray two prayers moment by moment throughout this Lenten season. One is that, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Keep me near the cross. Keep me at the foot of the cross. And the second prayer that I'd like to, that I dare you to pray is, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Keep me near the cross and Holy Spirit, be poured out in my life. May I be a person who reflects the glory of Mount Zion so that when I walk out, I can be like Moses and people say, man, I can't hardly look at that guy. Because we've been in the presence of Jesus. Mike and the team are gonna sing a couple of songs about the glory of God. <laughs> and I wanna tell you something. This week, it was just a short moment but, but I felt like, man, if I could just skip go <laughs> and go straight there, <laughs> what a day that would be. And I think it's all right for us to get homesick for that day once in a while. But while we're here, let's celebrate the glory of God that he's invited us into on the mountain of God. Anytime during this time, these two songs, feel free to come and partake of communion to stay near the cross. And if you'd, I'm going to stay here right at the center. If you'd like to come, I'd be glad to lay my hands on you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to take a lot of time. 
I'm just going to lay my hands on you and say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep me near the cross. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our challenge for you today. God bless you.